Hello, everybody. Tom Siegert here. Welcome to my podcast, Theology 21st Century. In this episode, my guest will lead our discussion on animal souls, how we know, and what it means. As with every week's topic, I offer the apology that in this format, the subject cannot be exhaustive. Your experiences and thoughts will be a welcome addition to this discussion. Please post them as comments and we will get back to you. Let's begin. Today my guest is Reverend Gilbert Stones, pastor of Trinity United Methodist Church in Los Osos, California. Gilbert is a native Californian. He graduated from the University of California, San Diego, studied at San Francisco Theological Seminary, and has his Master of Divinity degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. Gilbert was ordained in 1981 and has served churches in Arizona, Southern California, Hawaii, and the Central Coast. Gilbert shares his home with his wife and three cats. Anything else he wants us to know, he'll share with us. Welcome, Gilbert. I'm truly pleased to have you join us today. Thank you, Tom. I'm really happy to be able to be here. Uh, This is a topic that has had a lot of interest for me for a long time, and I'm looking forward to sharing my ideas. Both of us have blessed animals throughout our tenures as pastors. We've honored the passing of pets and their contributions to the families they adopt. A common question we all seem to face is, do we believe that there is a heaven for animals? Today, we'll discuss this topic. Gilbert, what say you? Well, as I say, it's a topic that's been of interest to me for a long time. So let me just say very briefly why I'm sitting here talking with you about this. Tom posted on his Facebook page a while back. He's looking for friends interested in joining him for an episode of his podcast. Subject is up for grabs as long as it fits within practical theology. And the one that jumped out for me was, should the souls of animals go to heaven assuming they have souls. And of course, there are a lot of questions tied up in that one question. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me was the, the word should, should the souls of animals go to heaven, uh, which is a value judgment. And I suppose that there are folks within our very wide tradition that might make it as a value judgment, assuming that animals do have souls. Are they worthy of heaven? You know, in other words, do good dogs go to heaven and bad dogs go to hell or who knows? So I'm going to stay at the outset. My short answer is that animals are souls and their fate is the same as that of human souls. Having said that, I do need to make a disclaimer. I do come to this question from a Judeo-Christian background. Now that is a very, very wide background with lots of different perspectives involved in it. But one of the basic questions that the Judeo-Christian background struggles with is, are humans and animals or the rest of creation in general of the same type but different degree, or are they of a different type? In other words, are human beings exceptional somehow in what we believe to be the creation of God? Are we a different order of creation? 
Specifically, many Western traditions follow Roman Catholic thought on this, that animals don't have souls, that they are somehow automatons, that they may have functions that look like behaviors with thought associated with it, but that they aren't, that souls are something that are reserved for human beings. Uh, I'm not an expert on any traditions except my own, but it's not a question in many other traditions. It's not a question in many primitive, and I say that word grimacing as I say it because it is so denigrating, but in shamanistic religious systems, for example, many Native American systems, this isn't even a question that needs to be considered. Of course, animals are part and parcel of the same creation that includes human beings. It's also not a question in many Eastern traditions. For traditions that believe in reincarnation, some, although not all, believe that the soul may pass through phases of being animals as well as human and that a soul that is moving forward may move up, as they understand it, in terms of humanity, but a soul that has transgressed in some way may move backwards and may move into different kind of animal forms that might be less attractive to those who are thinking about it. So that is one of the basic things that we start with is the question from the Western perspective do animals have souls? I, I want to start with just the observational sense that we human beings have. When an animal passes, especially a close companion animal, we deal with it in many, many different ways. People who own pets understand and will be very sympathetic when a pet parent loses a very special animal. People who are not pet people often have a very different perspective, or those who don't think that animals have any sort of real existence, i.e. any sort of interior life, any sort of soul. And it's easy to say, well, get over it. It's only a cat. It's only a dog. It's been six months. Why are you still brooding on that? And that, for me, is the height of insensitivity. It doesn't matter what you've lost. Human sympathy should extend to the person who is perceiving that loss. And the way I grieve is not the way you grieve. We should allow people space to have their grief. It's the height of insensitivity. Studies show that grief for animal companions is often greater than what we feel for lost human loved ones. And further, no one who's ever had a companion animal, as opposed to what we think of as livestock or, or perhaps even working animals, things like barn cats that we may never even bother to name. But anyone who's had an animal companion has no question that animals have personalities, that they have sensitivities and sensibilities, that they have likes and dislikes, and that they're all absolutely individuals just like human beings. And we know that as we form our bonds with our animal pets, our animal companions, uh, whether we have dogs, whether we have cats. My daughter works for the Humane Society in Southern Arizona, and uh, she is very fond of rabbits. And she will tell you all about the different personalities and quirks that the various rabbits have that come in and hope for adoption. And she is also very fond of rats. 
and will tell you all about the same things with rats, not only how smart they are, but how affectionate they can be and, uh, and the various different personality traits that they have. So we know, those of us who are aware at all, the, the bonds that can form between humans and animal companions. But animals, and especially animals with human associations, often form strong bonds among themselves. At one time, we had four cats. All of them are now sadly deceased. Uh, we had two males, two females. And the two males, Terse and Matins, were absolutely the best animal friends I have ever experienced in my life. They did everything together. They hung out together. They groomed each other. They slept together. They, they cuddled and snuggled. And when Matins passed away, Terse was beside himself. He, he grieved for months and months. And those animal bonds can go beyond the same species. Everyone knows that sometimes you see dogs and cats that just can't get along, and other times you see dogs and cats that are the closest of companions in the same household. Then you have to look no farther than the internet to find lots and lots of examples of animals bonding beyond their species. Two of my favorite examples are Foom and Gabra. They are uh, Spanish animals. Foom is a cat who unfortunately passed away at a very young age, and Gabra is an owl. And these two play together, they sit together, they obviously like one another's company. And then perhaps my favorite of all are what have been referred to as the BLT at Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary. That's in Georgia. Uh, these are three animals it was a lion cub, a tiger cub, and a bear cub that were rescued all at the same time. They were originally separated, and they were so upset and sad that they weren't together that they finally put them in the same enclosure, and that's where they lived. And they lived until first Leo, the lion, and then Sher Khan, the tiger, two years later, passed away. And Baloo, the bear, still lives in the same enclosure, and they've expressed grief at the loss of their friends. So in terms of personality, I think it's safe to say that most of us can accept that animals have that. But is that the sign of a soul? Well, this presupposes that one believes in some sort of concept of soul. And I know that perhaps not everyone listening today has a concept of soul or or afterlife. But if we presuppose those two things, some meaning of soul and some concept of afterlife, then I would argue that yes, animals are souls. And you'll note the way that I've said that not that they have them, but they are souls. And I begin from biblical anthropology, uh, ideas that I discovered 40 years ago when I was in seminary, and they are perhaps unsettling because they're not the primary way that these things are taught. But nonetheless, I think they are true to the biblical witness, which after all is my tradition. Uh, so I begin from biblical anthropology. The story of creation in Genesis 2 
And I'm not saying this is a literal thing. I'm saying that however you look at this, whether you look at this as a, as a story, whether you look at this as history, whatever it is, says that creation comes out of the mixing of matter and spirit. The word breath in both Hebrew and Greek, and in Aramaic for that matter, the primary languages of the Bible, in each language, they have the same meaning. They can mean breath, they can mean wind, or they can mean spirit. So in that creation story in the seventh verse of chapter two of Genesis, it says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became, and the translation is usually some version of a living being. That's New Revised Standard Version that I just read. The word that's translated here as living being is everywhere else translated as soul. That word, the Hebrew word nefesh, in other places is translated soul, but here it isn't translated soul, which is really interesting. But that's a translational thing. That's not a matter of what's written in that, in that source. And my understanding is that we do not have a soul as a possession. Somehow we are a body inhabited by a soul, but rather that we are a soul. I read that verse and everything that comes out of that as teaching that a soul is what happens when matter and God's breath, God's spirit are joined. That has a profound effect on every way of approaching our relationship to our world, our relationship to our creator, assuming that we start in the same place and have the same base set of beliefs. And that seems to be carried out throughout the Hebrew scriptures at the very least. Ecclesiastes is a rather depressing book. And in verse 19 of chapter 3, in its depressing way, it says, For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals. I think that speaks volumes to the topic that we're speaking about today, about the souls of animals. The way I see it is that in the understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, they are souls in the same way that we are souls. There's no difference. It's all the same breath. And then in concluding on that question of the breath making the soul, the last of the Psalms, Psalm 150, has the line, let everything that breathes praise the Lord so that all of creation, all of the things that are mixes of matter and spirit, that would be lions and tigers and bears, oh my, the BLT, that would be cats and dogs and rabbits, that would be your iguana, whatever it might be, they are all called to praise the Lord because they all share the same breath. So I, I think, at least in my mind, it's clear that animals just like us are souls. There is no difference of kind 
between human beings and the rest of created order. There may or may not be a matter of degree, but we aren't as unique as many people would demand that we are. We're part of creation. We're not set apart from creation. And that has profound implications far beyond the simple question, what happens to animals when they die? That has profound implications on how we treat the created world and the other people around us all the time. Then we have the question of heaven and afterlife. Now, the primary biblical image is not of entering heaven for eternity, but rather inhabiting a recreated earth. Uh, the book of Revelations doesn't talk about going to heaven, per se. It talks about the earth being recreated as the place for people, and then presumably also animals. Uh, Revelations 21, 1 and 2, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So the afterlife is, in some sense at least, material and not simply spiritual. That matter in some form, perhaps a different order of matter, but matter in some form is necessary for the constitution of soul. One of the implications for this is for those who know Christianity as a religion, we have this doctrine of resurrection. Why would we have a doctrine of resurrection if the only purpose of life was for the soul to flee the material? Rather, resurrection is necessary in order to get the material and the spiritual back together so that the souls are reconstituted. Now, I'm not going to have anything to say about what heaven might look like. One thing I can tell you is there's not much imagery about heaven in the Christian or Hebrew scriptures. Uh, the images that we have of puffy white clouds and people sitting around in long robes and playing harps and worse, having wings. These are all things that come out of much, much, much later tradition. The the scriptures only speak about being together with God, whatever that may be. And I'm not going to speculate on what that might look like. I can pretty well guess that it's not going to look like the popular modern image that, as far as I can tell, is 20 years old or less of the rainbow bridge that the souls of animals cross and frolic in the in the fields on the far side waiting for their people to come. I'm sure that whatever it is, it's going to look like whatever awaits us. And the hope that I have is whatever awaits us is being together in the presence of God. And my hope, my faith, my tradition tells me that that will be shared by animals as well. So to answer the question, yes, all dogs go to heaven. Thanks, Gilbert. There was a time when priest missionaries believed that the natives they encountered as they colonized the world were without souls. Yes. Therefore, killing natives who would not convert to the colonizing religion was a mercy. 
Only the baptized were granted souls. It seems that having souls is more a political argument than a theological one to me. I would agree. This idea of animals being souls confronts our superiority complex. It, uh, it, it begs us if we believe that animals are souls as well as human beings, that there is an equality among us. And that while we may have opposing digits, those opposing digits give us a kind of stewardship because we can make things. I don't know that there's anything in humanity that makes us superior to animals. There are, there are very few animals that kill for sport. That is true. The thing in us that makes us superior to animals is ego and delusion. <laughs> exactly. I agree. When uh, my partner was ill and dying, uh, we had three cats, two short hair, red point orientals, and a Cornish Rex. Fancy schmancy. <laughs> yeah, well, they would have been if they were more breed worthy. We, we just got one black, one white, and one orange. I love orange cats. They are so cool. The one cat, Spike, he licked his belly naked. And then after Donald died, his hair grew back. He had spent months worrying himself, uh, knowing that things were wrong. There was an intelligence that may not be the way we measure ours, but there was an intelligence and personality. I would be willing to go as far to say wisdom and sensitivity and insight. And insight that Spike exhibited that was moving. And there was grief. Animals grieve. Yes, they do. As truly as humans do. Oh, absolutely. Elephants have been seen to grieve. That we claim this soul that we don't grant anything else is, in its own way, a blasphemy of the Spirit of God that has breathed God's breath into being. How we have created this argument about whether an animal is a soul or not really is offensive, I think, uh, to the greater understanding of the innate worthiness, value of all God's creation. I, I think you put your finger on it earlier when you uh, mentioned that a lot of colonial governments dehumanized the people that they were conquering, because by doing so, then there was no reason why they couldn't just be dealt with in whatever way was convenient and expedient for the people who were doing the conquering. And the same way with animals. If animals have any intrinsic value, um, whether or not, and this is entirely aside from the question of whether or not animals are still fair game for food, but do they have an intrinsic value or is their value only measured by what they do for us? And as soon as you ask that question, you create a problem 
with the answer because it automatically begs the idea that, well, apparently we think that they're really not worth anything unless they're providing some benefit directly to us, whether it be an emotional benefit, a monetary benefit, a benefit in terms of, of power distinctions or whatever it may be. And it's, I'm not sure whether you use the word as strongly as I'm about to, but it shows a contempt for the creation that we believe that God has made. In this era where we have been inundated with various diseases that have in some ways threatened our existence, from Ebola to AIDS to COVID-19, there are things that we do as human beings that invade planet Earth. And it has been something that's been niggling at my mind is that maybe the Earth has developed its own resistance to the infection that we have become, (laughs) where we think that all things serve us, that we have the right of life over everything else in the planet, whether it's trees or the land itself that we farm and use pesticides in and bad farming techniques and the rainforest that we are invading and destroying and the air itself and the water. I mean, we are so such an invasive disease on this planet these days. I've wondered if our intrinsic value is losing weight because of the destruction we create. Well, that's a huge question, but I have to say, as you were talking, my mind was flipping onto the matrix and uh, the idea that human beings are a virus. And, you know, that there was pushback in the movie, of course, but I'm not so sure that that's such a wrong idea. Well, we've done a lot of things We've changed our logic patterns. We have done a lot of what would be called creative thinking if it weren't such destructive thinking. (laughs) There's a lot of, a lot that we have done to reorganize our thinking patterns so that we have a right to take. Yes. And we don't have a responsibility to give back. I think animals have just been part of this entire de-evolution of humanity from being aware of our place in the world to believing that we are superior to anything else in the world. And I've heard preachers preach on that stuff, you know, calling those of us who think that reforestation is important when you cut down trees and calling us tree huggers and different mocking phrases for those of us who think that full sustainability means replenishing and not just destroying. Yeah, that's uh, one of the uh, one of the great embarrassments that any of us who still dare to claim the name Christian have is knowing how twisted so much of history has marred what we were given. And by given, I mean both in terms of the creation and also in terms of the tradition that would call us to care for that creation. 
And so it leads us back to that old adage, with great gifts come great responsibilities. Ah, uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Gilbert. I really appreciate what we have been able to talk about today. It has been certainly something that's been on my heart and the hearts of many of us uh, as we trudge through the good parts of our religion and the bad parts. It certainly has its shortcomings when we allow it to speak so quietly about our stewardship responsibilities. And of course, animals are souls just as well as humans. Whoever would think otherwise is, as you say, delusional. So thank you for being with me today. You're welcome. I hope you send me your thoughts on today's topic. If you like these podcasts, please leave a rating, a like, or a review, and subscribe to them so they can come to you. My blog site will have supporting documentation, if not a transcript. If you're interested, please check that site. It is www.searching-for-god.com. Look for next week's podcast due out on Sunday, October 25th. May God continue to bless and keep you. Stay safe.